0: To understand the psalm we sang today, you have to get in the head of how the Israelites understood their community. Because when God led Moses and the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, God didn't just free them from Pharaoh. God didn't just lead them through the Red Sea and then say, okay, well, good luck, hope it goes well. No, God created a new kind of community. In a world that is full of kings and emperors, armies and swords, death and destruction, God creates a new way of organizing society. In Egypt, the poor are to be exploited for their labor, violence is the engine that motivates people, and God serves mostly as a rhetorical device to justify whatever the king wants. But among the Israelites, things are supposed to be different. The poor are to be cared for, The covenant is what motivates people, and God is always beyond the community's control. So in a world that is full of empires, weapons, and kings, God creates a new kind of community. A community that's energized through the justice, mercy, and love of God. And that community is supposed to be a check on other forms of power. It's supposed to be an alternative way of living, So that whenever other nations say, we have to be violent, we have to be exploitative, we have to be manipulative, the Israelites can say, there's another way of doing things. Does the community function that way forever? No, things go downhill pretty quickly. Because the Israelites look at everyone else, the nations that seem powerful, and they say, well, we want the stuff that they have. They want a king, and so they get a king, and the king abuses his power. They want money, so they get money, and they start exploiting the poor. They want a God who doesn't ask too much of them, so they build a temple where they can have God on call and then put God away whenever they don't want to deal with him. This nation that's supposed to be distinctive, unique, and different ends up looking pretty much like everybody else. So when God sends the prophets, Jeremiah, Micah, Amos, etc., this is what they're criticizing. They're saying, this is not the community that God created. This is not the nation that God created you to be. The thing that saved you, that brought you out of Egypt, wasn't money, it wasn't weapons, it wasn't a charismatic leader. What brought you out of Egypt was God. The psalm that we sang today echoes some of those prophetic complaints. It's a psalm of praise to God, but that praise has a critique lodged in it. It's a criticism of those other empires, those other ways of organizing society. The psalmist says all those other empires have kings, they have armies, they have warriors and horses, and those things make you feel powerful. They make you feel like you're in control, but they really don't. They can't feed you they can't keep you from dying they can't save you but the critique is of something else too it's not just a critique of these other nations it's also a criticism of the israelites who think that they are an exceptional nation but don't actually want to do any of the things that make them exceptional god's made the israelites a unique people so they will do justice love kindness and walk humbly with god And instead, the Israelites say, well, we just want the unique relationship, but we don't want to do the justice, loving, walking humbly stuff. In other words, they think that God's purposes stop with their own people. But according to the psalmist, who is the eye of the Lord on? It's on those who fear God. It's on those who keep and practice God's ways. It isn't restricted to the Israelites. It's opened. God looks down from the heavens above the kings who seem powerful, and God sees all humankind. So the Israelites are not some nation that's been elevated above everybody else. They're supposed to be a blessing to everybody else. So there's no room in this covenant with God for triumphalism, nationalism, or self-serving exceptionalism. This all may seem terribly archaic and irrelevant, But the temptation to align God's power with earthly power is still extremely seductive. According to a 2007 Pew Research Forum poll, the most recent year we have data for this, about two-thirds of Americans believe that the United States is a Christian nation. When people use that phrase, they usually mean something about our origins or character, that our nation was founded by Christians that our actions embody Christian values, or that we have a unique purpose in God's salvific work. I don't really want to get into whether that's true or not, but it's interesting to me that when people make that argument, they usually assume that the Church should want us to be a Christian nation. Is that actually true? Should we want to be a Christian nation? If the psalmist is right, perhaps we should be wary of aligning ourselves too closely with worldly power. Because as the psalmist reminds us, the ways that God creates, organizes, and sustains communities are different than the ways that we do it for ourselves. So how do we live as faithful Christians who are also responsible citizens? Let me give you three ways the church has answered this historically. The first way Christians have sought to be faithful is by quietism. Quietists believe that engagement in social affairs does not affect your faith. So what happens outside the doors of the church should never come inside and vice versa. Not because it's bad, but it's just not the stuff that we're doing. So the way that you act as a faithful Christian is by not stressing out about civic life. Just Stay focused on God, don't get distracted. Public life is complicated if you stop and think about it, so don't stop and think about it. A second way we've answered this is by endorsement. That the church is most faithful when it supports and blesses the actions of the nation. As Lutherans, we have a very complicated history with this. Because Luther depended on his princes to keep him from being killed, he was excessively deferential to them. He once wrote that quote, disobedience to rulers is a greater sin than murder, which is a kind of crazy thing if you think about it. What is worse, protesting or murder? Luther's answer is protesting is worse. We have a more recent example of this even in our own church. We have an American flag in the corner. We take it for granted now that American flags are part of churches. You have a font, you have an altar, you have pews, you have a flag. Up until about a hundred years ago, that would have been very unusual. And it was German-American Lutherans during World War I who wanted to prove their loyalty or their sense of patriotism. So they started putting flags in their sanctuaries as a way of saying whatever Woodrow Wilson wants, We are going to support it. We're not here to cause any problems at all. And the third way, the way some Anabaptists have reacted, is the exact opposite. It's rejection. They believe that political life is so irredeemably corrupt that you can't get involved with it at all. If endorsement thinks everything the state does is good, rejectionists think it's all bad. So they go off and set up totally separate communities where they won't be affected by it. They won't even sign contracts because they don't want to be beholden to anything besides the word of God in their conscience. How do you be a faithful Christian and citizen? Well, you can't, so just pick one. You can find present-day examples of all three of these responses, but none of them are really ethically responsible. Quietism assumes that God's grace has nothing to do with anything besides our personal sins. Endorsement leads you to take unprincipled stands for the sake of expediency. And rejection assumes that you're not responsible for other people's welfare. What we seek instead is a kind of critical engagement. Engagement because we are involved with the world around us. We serve, we speak, we vote, we advocate, we protest. We are, to use Roosevelt's phrase, in the arena. But we're critical because we never completely align ourselves with the powers and principalities of the world. That puts us in a rather complicated position vis-a-vis people in power. Sometimes people in authority should be glad that we're here because we want to solve problems with them. Partnerships and cooperation are important. But sometimes they should find us difficult. Sometimes they should actually find us very annoying the gadfly that won't stop asking questions about justice, equity, and inclusion. Because whenever people like Pharaoh say that the world is good enough as it is, we're here to say that God is actually calling us to more, that we can do better. And because we don't depend on their endorsement, because we only depend on God's call and covenant, we don't have to worry about losing power or influence. There's freedom in that. Because the eye of the Lord, the care of the Lord, is on those who fear God. Not on kings, not on the powerful, not on the well-connected. But the eye of the Lord is on those who seek justice, who seek mercy, and who walk humbly. You can lose power, you can lose an election, you can lose a debate. But we can never lose the steadfast love of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Stand as we join the church